Lectionary Lab Live is recorded by Two Bubbas and a Bible, live in Gainesville, Florida, and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear from you today. We are preparing to talk about the scriptures and thinking about the sermon for the day of Pentecost. These are the texts for May the 28th, 2023. The year is ripping right by, whether you call that the the calendar year, which it certainly is, May is about done, uh, or the church year. Here we are, right on the uh, on the brink of finishing sort of the first half of the church year, getting ready to move into the season after Pentecost. But this very very important day, this very very important pivot. So we're not going to move through it too quickly. Why don't you tell us what you got on your mind today, Bubba, as we think about preaching on the day of Pentecost? Well, this is my 46th Pentecost Sunday. And every year, Acts 2, 1 through 21 is the primary <laughs> text. <laughs> they, this and every Pentecost, the other text, whatever year you're in, are picked. <laughs> around this subject, yep. but this is the text. Yep. And uh, <clears throat> if we were, uh, if we were to put the preaching task uh, in terms of the Mandalorian, we yeah. would say, this is the way. Yeah. It, it just, <laughs> this yeah. is it. This text, this is the day. This is the way. Okay. So, um, and if you think it's hard to come up with something new to say about Christmas every year, Pentecost is more, even more limited. You know, <laughs> they're sitting there. Holy Spirit comes. They go out in the street. And they start quoting Joel. We're done. So, <laughs> what are you going to say? Mm-hmm. This is one of those days in a liturgical church or the liturgical calendar where the day drives the narrative. And the text supports the day. What you want to say, yeah. More, more, more so than the other way around for most of the season after Pentecost. Now, if you hear that and say, well, I'm not a narrative preacher. <laughs> Come to my workshop. You will discover that all sermons are narrative. Of one type or another. One type yeah. or another. They may not be a storytelling. There might not be a story inside, but they're a narrative with a beginning, middle, and end. And it's either a well-thought-out and effective narrative, or it's like my daddy trying to tell a joke. It just rambles all over the place, and <laughs> then it gets done, and all the parts are there, but nobody... The nobody can get it, yeah. Nobody gets it. The, the issue of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit in the church drives this day. And the question is, what do my people at mm-hmm. this juncture in 2023, mm-hmm. the people that I'm preaching to, what is the word of the Lord to them this day mm-hmm. about the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church? Now, all the Christian scripture texts for this day, which for most of us will 
you know, as has been the season of Israel, probably be the only text we read. You can read the Numbers text, and it's helpful. But the Christian scripture text, all of them are answering the question. Post the ascension, what now? Hmm. That's the key question that Pentecost addresses. Post ascension, mm-hmm. what now? Because you, we, this is a good time to perhaps remind our congregation that the we have the, the liturgical year narrative, the life of Christ got, comes, and then we have the life of the church for the second half. And so this is the life of Christ cycle, and it starts with Christ the King, which is really. To me, the first day, not the last day of the church year. It's a transition. He's coming. Mm-hmm. Advent, he's coming. Christ, uh, Christmas and Epiphany, he's here. What does that mean? He's here. And then Lent, it comes. Oh, is that what it means? Suffering <laughs> at the cross? Then you have Holy Week, the dinner and the death. You know, as we see this this focus down and we get to that hinge moment on Good Friday and then Easter and the season of Easter is this great but God surprise Mm -hmm. that that God has come back and then God is with us and Christ is with us and everything's good and and it went there he went He's up. Now he's gone. Yeah. We we were used to this. Now we're what are we gonna do now? Yeah. Ascension he's left. The Pentecost moment is the end of Christ's earthly ministry and the beginning of the Christ's ministry as the body of Christ in the church. Right. right. That's the theological narrative of which the Sunday Pentecost is a part of. And I think there's a way in which you need to find a way to remind people why we're celebrating this. Now, I, I, it can get pretty didactic and dry to do what mm-hmm. I just did, you know. But there's <laughs> gotta, there, you got to think through a way of saying, you know, Christ came, life, death, and resurrection, mm-hmm. then so right. Those are the things that, that kind of drive us today. And all the texts today are about, okay, we've gotten to this point. The ascension has happened. Then what happens? Well, the Pentecost is the spirit comes upon the church and propels us not just out into the street, but into the future. Mm-hmm. And all of the the lesson from Acts is that which determines the rest of the book of Acts. Yes. Because the rest of the book of Acts is talking about what happened on this day and how it worked itself out. Mm-hmm. So, and, you, yeah, and I know we're fixing to dig in a little more, but just kind of back to your previous comment. Somebody says, well, I'm not a narrative preacher. Well, the sermon has a narrative. On this day, that narrative is not necessarily attempting to retell this story no, blow no, no. by blow. This, the text is, it flows and it stands and, and, you know, we kind of get it and we may lift out, you know, a line here, a line there or whatever, but you don't read the scripture and say, well, you see what happened was 
on the day of, and you sort of re retell it. No, 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 no. no, do this work. Think it through. What's the real issue for your folks? Because there's a good stuff in here. Yeah. And what does it mean for the church to have the spirit? Mm -hmm. How do we experience the spirit? Mm -hmm. uh, what what is it, what are we saying about the Holy Spirit in our congregation? How does mm -hmm. that work itself out? And and where you know your tradition, the UCC says, mm -hmm. uh, you know, God is still speaking. Right. of the Spirit. Other tradition, you know, various ways, various traditions deal with what does it mean to have the Holy Spirit, and it's not only, you know, Pentecostals, quote unquote, right. Speaking and faith healing there are all kinds of ways we talk about the work mm -hmm. of the spirit and, and within your tradition how do you affirm that work of the spirit which is the work of the church that's it so let's take a look at some of these texts the day of pentecost is based on the jewish liturgical calendar seven weeks after passover 50 days therefore pente it's the one of the three important feasts of the Jewish liturgical year, and um, this is the there's Passover and Tabernacles and weeks. This is the mm -hmm. feast of weeks. Now, this is very fairly important. Uh, some of that's just kind of Sunday school stuff. If you have a lectionary Sunday school class, which some churches do, mm -hmm. having all the text, but at the time of Christ, the Jewish tradition was to celebrate the giving of the law on Sinai as the point of the Feast of Pentecost. Now, this is interesting because if you take law not in a kind of Pauline sense of disciplinarian and structure and all of that, judgment that we can't, but as Torah, as guidance, what you have is <laughs> Torah given on Sinai to lead and guide a people who have left everything they know in mm -hmm. Egypt and are in the wilderness headed toward the promised land. Mm -hmm. And on Pentecost, we have a people who have left everything they know. Yep. And they are in the wilderness because their leader has gone and the spirit comes upon them for what? To provide them God yes, as they mm -hmm. move forward into God's future. I think there's great parallels there, including, you know, in, in, in the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, smoke and noise and the showing forth of God's glory. And that's what mm -hmm. this tongues of fire and wind is about. I had a similarity there. Similarity, right. How we show God's glory. So know that. So the outline of the text, uh, as John said, don't you don't need to walk through it as the narrative, but. The story tells itself, but the first four verses are the summary of the day. It tells those four verses tell you what happened. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> That's the old preacher outline. Tell you what I'm going to tell you. Tell you. Now, let me tell you what I told you. Yep. So that summarizes. Five through 11 is basically a detailed roster of attendance, mm -hmm. which seems a little odd. But beneath the names, there is geography. It took me a long time before I figured that one out. Mm -hmm. So if you start with those names and you can play with them and look them up, 
But basically, you start in Iraq and move your way up through Iran, and then you move over to Turkey mm-hmm. across the north. Then you come back down and you move through Egypt and Libya, and then you come back in the Mediterranean, and there's Crete, and then you come to uh, the west, the, the west Jordan, which is the Arabs. Mm-hmm. So what basically that says is people from all the known world have come, and this is where you're being sent. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of an assurance to the church that, because they're saying, yeah, we're going to the world, but we talk funny. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't these Galileans, these Rednecks, these, you know, country folks, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and this is an assurance. Some people talk about the reversal of Babel. There is that. But mm-hmm. I think it's, I love the imagery of it saying, you, these are the people you're going to go to and be assured. God will make the message known. Mm-hmm. They will he- hear each in their own language. And then you've got this wonderful, I don't know, they're, I think they're drunk. I think they're probably drunk. Listen to them babbling, speaking. One of the, one of the yeah. early things is that um, the church has always had this problem where people look at it and say, what'd you say? <laughs> what'd you say? Hmm. And we think in American society, because from about the mid fifties and sixties and much of the fifties and early sixties for a while, um, Christianity was kind of this unquestioned civil religion that suddenly when we don't have this privileged place anymore, and we say things that, that, that we think are just commonplace and people say, what do you mean that suddenly we're being persecuted? And that's not the case at all. And it's always been that way, that we are a different kind of people. Mm -hmm. The text assures us that even in the face of people think we're babbling, (laughs) God's spirit moves in what we say Mm -hmm. and helps people hear. And that's, that's important. Right in around there is the idea that it really is God who enables the hearing and the understanding. Sometimes we really have to be careful because we can speak in our own language, sort of. And I mean the church here. Yes. I, I think of it every time I pass a church sign and they put the scripture for the day up or something like that. And you see EPH period one colon. and I'm going who in the Sam Hill has a clue what that means we're you know we say well it's Ephesians uh, you know chapter 2 1 through 11 we no people don't know that most people in the church don't know that anymore so uh, how can we just just speak you know just speak use use your word let God communicate the message. Yeah. There, there was uh, not not too many years ago in a little Methodist church that's on the main drag through Clay County, had a big message sign. And I drove by one day and it said, 
cornhole 17 pastors. <laughs> That's exactly what the sign said. Cornhole 17 pastors. I pondered that for several hey. days. <laughs> What's fixing to happen here? So I called the senior pastor of the big Methodist church and asked who's preaching out there at that little preaching station. And he told me, and I figured I called him up and I said, what does that sign mean? He said, oh, the youth group is going to play cornhole where you toss the corn, but I didn't know about, you know, into the, on the 17th at my house. <laughs> I said, do you have any idea if anybody other than the members of your youth group had any idea what that sign said? Sometimes what we're saying yeah. comes across in that same manner. Mm-hmm. The last thing I, uh, on this 5 through 11 about the the detailed roster is this is an allusion to Isaiah 2, 2 through 4 without reference to the text. Mm-hmm. It shall come to pass in the latter days. The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains, be lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. So um, I think that is that element. When he lists all those, there's an element, I think, for the early church. They had began to talk about how all nations, they're talking about the universalism and Mm -hmm. finding ways. And this is part of that reference is this in-gathering, messianic in-gathering, something momentous is happening in God's kingdom. And 12 through 21 then is the response and the sermon. Um, You know, all were amazed and perplexed. Mm -hmm. What does this mean? But others sneered and, you know, they're drunk. But Peter standing with the 11. So there's a quick narrative shifts. But some sneered and then Peter, but got up and Mm -hmm. what he did. Uh, men of Judea and all in Jerusalem, let this be known to what I say. Mm-hmm. And basically, after he says, we're not drunk, it's only nine o'clock, this, that, and the other. The rest of it, 17 through 21, is Joel. Yep. Uh, Joel 2, 28 through 32. And uh, basically, that is is about universalism, how God's mm-hmm. spirit is not limited to a select group of folk, whether by gender or race or Mm -hmm. ethnicity Mm -hmm. or status, it pours out upon everyone. Um, The other text for the day, the one I'm not dealing with much, I'm just going to mention is the numbers text where there's Mm -hmm. a wonderful story in which the elders come into the tent and the spirit's supposed to be poured out on them and some don't come, but it, it goes on them anyway, Got and they're prophesying in the camp, not in the tent. And some say, mm-hmm. should we stop them? Well, uh, this is the same. This is some of the same kind of thing. The spirit's going to blow where it's going to blow, and That's it's going right. to blow on people that we don't think ought, it ought to blow on. And who is mm-hmm. he to think? Who do you who does he think he is? Mm-hmm. Well, he's who God has made him or her to be. Mm-hmm. So um, the spirit, the spirit acts, and so the rest of the book of the Acts of the Apostles could better be titled "The Acts of the Spirit." Yeah, 
And the rest of it explores this. Uh, it explores the, the nature of inclusivity. Look at how many stories in the book of Acts are about Gentiles and masters and slaves. The rest of the New Testament is struggling with how expansive is God's kingdom. Right. And the answer always comes out, well, more expansive than you thought. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, and, and the number of women leadership and the number mm. of Gentiles, and, and that's that struggle. Yeah. The second one has is related, the unexpected prophets. I, I think it's not by accident that so you have this thing, and then after this you get, oh, we got to pick somebody to replace uh, Judas, so we'll have 12 apostles. So they pick one that you never hear from again. Mm-hmm. And then they picked seven people to wait on tables. And one of them is, was one of the most famous preachers and martyrs of the New Testament with one of the longest sermons, and that would be Steve. So, and there's this, who is this to prophesy? Yeah. Then you got this guy standing there at the edge, getting all the, all the cloaks, and then later he's going <laughs> to burst the church, and he becomes one of the most important. Important prophets, stubborn, mm-hmm. hard-headed, back-minded about certain things. Nobody we would pick, but the Spirit came upon him. Mm-hmm. Unexpected prophets, and how the Spirit impels the church to go into the world. And I think particularly Paul being invited to Mesopotamia for one thing, and these various things of pushing, pushing, pushing. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting here, you look at church tradition, you learn how the church went south and east. There was a church of the east. There's church in India. They're down mm-hmm. in Ethiopia. But we don't hear about that in the scripture. What we hear is that wing that goes through Turkey to Greece and to Rome. Mm-hmm. But it's in all those other directions and we know this because you can look at where the church was when the missionaries from the western church got there they were Christians already yeah (laughs) there so I I think that's that that this is how the church the spirit pushes them out not just out of the room that day right but pushes them out of their various comfort zones and then Mm -hmm. And numbers is you can you can read numbers for a Hebrew scripture lesson and then read this text as the epistle for the day. Or read this as the epistle and be able to use the Corinthians text we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pick of the psalm for today, and I just went with 104. Uh, a lot of parallels with some other Middle Eastern uh, God language stuff. Uh, particularly an Egyptian hymn to Aten, the sun god. Uh, there's some real parallels. Maybe the Hebrews had learned that and just, a, you know, adjusted it for their worship. Uh, churches they, spent, have, they spent a lot of time at various phases, uh, back and forth in Egypt. So, yeah, yeah you know, it could happen. So uh, I was thinking about, you remember uh, D.D. Khan or whatever, You Light Up My Life it was a love song? How many times in the 70s did we hear that sung in church where they changed it to Jesus? You oh. light up my life. <laughs> you can't be home. I could have gone all day without that, but you're right. <laughs> Once you've heard it, 
you're never <laughs> going to be able to forget it, particularly oh. my transition. Anyway, that's that's what and the Psalm verse thirty talks about the Spirit's involvement in creation, and that's why it's Moving to 1 Corinthians 12, 5, 3B through 13. The first thing is, why 3B? What happened to 3A? Mm-hmm. Well, that's where it invites us. He talks about cursing Jesus. And <laughs> I think they just decided that wasn't good for... Public. We don't want to have to deal with that right now. No. So let's just pick it up there around the... Yeah. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is in the midst of 12, 13, and chapters 12, 13, and 14, where he's dealing with the gifts of the Spirit. And particularly, he's dealing with a problem in which those who have the more flashy gifts of glossolalia and, mm-hmm. and prophesying are saying, see, we're more spiritual than y'all. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, and they, they get so enamored of their own gift that they're looking at everybody else said, y'all need to just quit piddling with those gifts mm-hmm. and aspire to my gift. Yeah. We need to be like, you know, and so Paul is trying to put things in context with the gifts of the spirit and his listing of those gifts. Notice what comes last. <laughs> He's prioritizing right. because this problem is that it's splitting the church. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I haven't dealt with this much as a Lutheran, but in my early days as a student at the Divinity School and being a Methodist student pastor, uh, the charismatics were a pro- were want to cause this kind of problem. Uh, one of my pastors called them saber-toothed <laughs> charismatics. <laughs> And it was that everybody just needs to go to this retreat and get the Holy Spirit. And then when everybody gets filled with the Spirit, then the church will be fine. And denigrating the gifts of teaching and service and love and all these other things. So Paul is saying, no, let me talk about this. And here's the important thing for the day of Pentecost. There are varieties of gifts, but one Spirit. He says that over and over. He lists the gifts, but he says over and over, there are varieties of gifts, but one spirit, a varieties of opportunities to serve, but one purpose. Mm -hmm. Verse seven, the common good. That's it. And the question this text presents, and your church may need to hear this, if your gift is hurting and not helping the church, you need to go into some personal prayer time mm. and question, is this a gift if it's not helping the common good? And if it's not helping the common good, is it of God? Pretty good questions. I had a not one, one opportunity, and I don't do this kind of thing very often, but a lecture went off, off book. So much supposed to read the scripture went off book and got off I got off the teleprompter, you're saying. <laughs> he went off the revised now new revised standard version printed text in the lectern and brought his red underlined King Jimmy into the pulpit <laughs> because it was more explicitly on the subject of sexual morality the way he interpreted it than mm-hmm. he wanted. And he went off book and, and went off talking about various and sundry things. I don't often, you know, 
chastise prisoners, but on this particular occasion, after I had the opportunity to read the gospel and before I started the sermon, I named him by name and I Mm. said, I'm sorry, you can't do that. Mm. You were asked to read the scripture and you interspersed your own opinions in the reading of the scripture in in a way that people couldn't tell what was Holy Script and what was your Mm. opinion. And that's first of all. And I said, secondly, um, if you want to preach, we'll talk about it. And I'll tell you what hoops you have to jump through to be able to get in this pulpit and preach. And then, and, you know, you, you violated this congregation's trust because we, you were asked to read the scripture and you did something else. But afterwards, he was gracious enough to come out, came out and he said, well, I accept the rebuke. Mm-hmm. but sometimes the spirit gets hold of you. At the late, great Elanita Zimmerman, who was always standing and helping with greetings, she was the mother of that church, interjected, she says, not every spirit is the Holy Spirit. Ooh. And he looked and said, I need to think about that. Mm-hmm. Not everything you feel is from God. Yeah. So I think Paul's major warning here is to think about gifts in terms of what you can do, whatever it may be, for the building up of the common good of the congregation. Mm -hmm. And if it's not for the common good, then you have to think about what kind of gift is it and where did it come from? Yeah. And... We really have to take the spirit of that question. Is this a common good? Is this helpful to the body? And not necessarily judge the gift itself or the expression uh, of the gift uh, itself. And I'll tell my quick old preacher story. Uh, Happened to me, probably happened to others. I'm a young pastor on the, actually on staff at uh, a a church early on and uh, did the music work, youth work, all of that. And we had a guy in the church was just, you just, everybody just almost shrunk up when they saw him coming. Uh, You just didn't want to hear from this old fella. But at the same time, everybody respected him. He's a big, successful businessman. So, of course, they put him on the finance committee and we got in a big budget talk on time and everybody this way, that way, the other way. And this fellow stood up and said, well, you know, I think such and so and such and so and such and so. And this is what we need to do. And everybody was like, oh, OK, well, if he said it, that that means. And the, the controversy was resolved. Next morning at staff meeting, we were talking about that. And my senior pastor wisely said, Brother John, you've just learned an important principle said the church is the body of christ and just remember that everybody needs an asshole (laughs) (laughs) and i've kept that um that's not a quote for the pulpit maybe but i've kept that in my mind and yep Everybody uh, may have their part, so be careful, you know, the kind of judging. I, uh, I, ever since you told me that first time about 30 mm-hmm. years ago, yep, when I have run up against somebody difficult in the church and, and pushing it, on, <laughs> I have thought to myself, well, I know what part of the body of Christ <laughs> you are. You are. <laughs> Moving on. All right. John 20, 19 through 23, four short verses. 
we said earlier, Pentecost completes Easter 5, 19, 20, 21, 20. Math is not my best act. You know. <laughs> I'm giving Delma the high sign there going five. Yeah, five. <laughs> well, nine, yeah. 23 minus 19. Anyway, <laughs> I did the math wrong. Anyway, five short verses. Complete Easter. And, uh, you know, without Pentecost, Easter shows us a people left behind hmm. with nothing to go on but fond memories and vague hopes. Yeah. Without Pentecost, even with the resurrection because of the ascension, we find ourselves with fond memories. Remember what Jesus said? Remember what Jesus said? Mm -hmm. what, and it leaves it with things we have to do based on 2,000-year-old stories mm -hmm. and some rather vague hopes. Mm -hmm. With Pentecost, the church affirms that Christ promised to be with us and to send another to lead, guide, teach, empower mm -hmm. is fulfilled. And the church is not abandoned, is not orphaned, but is promised that in our midst, where two or three are gathered, the Spirit is there with us also. The Spirit of Christ is there with us also. And that's why we can study the scriptures together better than we can alone because the Spirit comes and leads us. We serve Amen. better together than we do alone because the Spirit is in our midst. And Pentecost completes Easter. You can't separate the two. Mm. I like it. Um, 19 through 23 is a concise retelling of this giving of the Spirit. Uh, first of all, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God through Christ to the church. That's pretty important. A gift from God through Christ to mm -hmm. the church. Secondly, it teaches us that the Holy Spirit brings the commission from God <laughs> through Christ to the church to go into the world. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, the Holy Spirit comes from God through Christ to the church to empower us to be to be led in Christ's name instead. And there you have it. There you have it. Yep. Thought I'd give you all a three-point uh, outline. You may need uh, <laughs> need to look up your own poem. Yeah, you'll have to find your own conclusion there. I don't have really anything to add, except that there are pretty generally multiple ways into a text. And as you all settle on which text, again, most likely Acts is going to be at the center. Um, as you begin to think about ways into it, for my folks, and this time around, since Pentecost rolls around pretty regularly, uh, uh, my attention has been drawn uh, back earlier in that Acts text. We have words like amazed and astonished and, you know, even perplexed, all these kinds of things. But I'm drawn this time around to the word bewildered in verse six. The crowd gathered and was bewildered. 
because each of them hurt these things. And, you know, the world is a bewildering place for us these days. And I, I have church members regularly struggling. You're right. In the United Church of Christ, one of our sayings is God is still speaking. And I have people regularly saying, I don't know what God's trying to say, that the world is so confusing. And how do, how do we find this voice? And so that is a way into yeah. this text. Sometimes you find a phrase that kind of pops out and you go, hmm, that's on the minds of my people. Maybe that's the way I need to enter yeah. this text. And that's walk a, that's the question. How, how do we know the voice? Yeah. And I think one of the important answers to that question has to do the, to respond that they were gathered together. Right. And the Spirit came upon them. Mm-hmm. And the they listened to each other. God's voices. And, and this is one of the, the standard theological understandings of, of how the God speaks is mm-hmm. in community through scripture. Right. We gather around word and sacrament. We gather. And if like, you find yourself yeah. with one person who, uh, even if it's the pastor who says my way is, or the highway, um, that's blocking the possibilities of the Holy Spirit. It begins yeah with the leader person being willing yeah. to not only listen, but to enable others to speak. Yeah. Well, it fits with your thought too, that uh, Pentecost completes Easter because when we gathered on Easter morning, seven weeks ago or so, uh, that event began with some bewilderment as well. <laughs> uh, you know, folks are like, what the hey, same what, hell is going on here? And the what are you talking about, Willis? Remember the, yeah. the yeah, there you go. What you doing, So, make some nice book in. Easter Sunday morning, first thing, they're bewildered. Here we are, day of Pentecost. Everybody's gathering. This is pretty bewildering. However, the Spirit does move and God does speak, even and perhaps especially in our bewildering places, in our most bewildering moments. So there you go. You could even kick back and say, well, bewilderment is kin to the word uh, wilderness, and that takes us all the way back to Lent. So, you know, (laughs) it all I want to close with a six-year-old Delmer trying to figure out what Pentecost was. Um, On the bus to and from Red Bank Elementary School, the boy I sat with, my best friend in first grade, was one of six children of the Pentecostal Holiness Preacher. There was a Mountain View Pentecostal Holiness Church mm-hmm. in the parsonage. Uh, they stopped off and picked their kids, rode back and forth to school. And I didn't know much about what Pentecostals were. My daddy was kind of a rock-ribbed Baptist. Mama was a, a shorter catechism Presbyterian and uh, neither of which were given to manifestations of the spirit. <laughs> they, 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 there were some really good people go to that church, but you know, I, I'm just not into all that yelling and hollering, and that's what they'd say, you know, jumping around. And uh, I just was curious about what it was. And then one day, Billy told showed me the outside of his hand, right below the the little finger on each hand. And then being six years old, he took off his socks and shoes and showed me just outside his little toe 
another scars too. And turns out he and all his brothers and sisters were born with an extra finger and toe on each hand and foot, six mm-hmm. fingers on each hand and six toes. And early on, not long after they were born, they had surgery to remove those. Mm-hmm. And until I was a teenager, I imagine, I thought that being Pentecostal had something to do with being born with six fingers and six toes. <laughs> extra toes. So, toe. so I looked for those little scars to see if they were people were Pentecostal. I just thought I'd share that with you. Well, that's just, uh, that's just outstanding. Y'all be on the lookout now for folks with those scars up now. We we not making light at all. Our understanding quite often dawns gradually and over time, doesn't it? Good yeah. stuff today, Bob. I appreciate the work on the text and appreciate all of you who are laboring week in and week out to bring the word into your congregations. Um Again, we enjoy hearing from you. Got several comments from last week, and please feel free to let us know what's going on, any way we can help you, any insights you get. I always enjoy hearing how many of you are taking uh, comments and taking ideas from these texts and how you are using them and working them out in your own work and in your own sermon. We uh, we love hearing what's going on with you all. Bubba. Uh, It's been good, but I don't reckon there's much left for us to do today other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a two bubbles and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with Danger Zone, written by Giorgio Moroder and Tom Whitlock, performed by Kenny Loggins. Never-